Welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. Game two is one and done. It was the Matildas for the Philippines nil. It was an important win. It was a little cagey. There was some times where I reckon there might have been some flashbacks to previous Asian Cups and very, very stacked defences, but the girls got through it, got the win, and have now qualified for the quarterfinals, which is the most important part. Unlike last week, I will remember to introduce who we are. So I am Marissa Lordanik and I am joined by Sam Lewis and Anna Harrington this week. No Angela Christian Wilkes, but she will be back very soon. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands we are recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. So let's talk about this 4-0 win. It had a lot of hype and focus coming into it. Sam, it's probably a bit of a pointed question, but did it kind of live up to the hype that was surrounding it in the lead up? It is a good, that's a good question. I don't think it did, but it it didn't in a good way. I really enjoyed this game. It had a very different energy to obviously the Indonesia game and to the hype that was building around it. I think a lot of people wanted there to be (laughs) drama and, you know, history and all that sort of stuff. But what we ended up getting was just a good game of football. I really enjoyed particularly the first half watching the Matildas have to solve problems. It's very different, obviously, from the opening game where it it was fairly easy to form patterns and to score goals. But this first half, full credit to the Philippines. I thought that they were excellent. They really forced the Matildas to work. And that's something that when it comes to this Australian team, sometimes when they come up against an opponent that forces them to work, they don't quite know how and sometimes they struggle and we saw that we saw that in the opening half but you know overall I think we probably should have finished this game with a bunch more goals than what we ended up finishing with we were completely dominant I haven't seen stats like this in an international game for the Matildas for quite a while so the fact that we only won 4-0 is not really reflective actually of the overall sort of dynamic and performance of the side um, but I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm just glad that none of that pre-game um, sort of tension about stagic and well, I'm like, I'm glad that none of that really unfolded because that would have just, it would have turned all of our heads backwards rather than focusing on what was a really good game and particularly a really good second half, which overall, I think the, the emerging thing was that it's pointing forwards. So I, I really liked it. I agree with you, Sam. I I love the problem-solving element of it. Um, And I think it is important. I think the Matildas have had a few different runs um, in recent years. There's the sort of underdog, we can win against the odds, you know, backs to the wall, the other team's more favoured, we can pull this off. Um, And that was very much um, in the Stagic era, the, you know, pulling off these big results. Um, And then we saw, I think, especially when Zante Milicic came in, a lot of focus on, having the ball possession and, you know, we, and we saw, I guess I'll get with both those coaches, the struggle to, to break teams down. And that was clearly a, a theme again. Um, I was like, there's a reason coaches employ these tactics because they're difficult to break down. And when you've got players that buy into it, um, as we saw, especially in that first half last night, it is very difficult to break down if they're fit, if they're disciplined, if they stay switched on. And that was the challenge for the Matildas. And I did see, 
I guess, some criticism of the starting 11. Um, I mean, here on this pod, we're not huge fans of, say, Emily Van Egmond playing as a as a six. Um, but I did like that Tony Gustafson, um, after halftime, stuck with that same 11 and got them to figure it out. Like, and the the conversation from from Steph Catley um, in the post match interview was very much along those lines of we're creating the chances, we're doing lots of the right things. It's it's about converting, and it's it's very much that line that bad. I know we say bad conversion or you know not scoring goals is bad football, but they weren't. Their their view was very much clearly that they weren't playing that badly. Um, perceptions, I think, across um, people watching the game certainly differed, but. I thought it was good that they were able to to find a way to break it down, albeit from a set piece initially and then a known goal, but they did it. And then Van Egmond showed good persistence for the third. And then we saw what I think people have been called, what people have been calling out for after the Indonesia game. Subs, kids, players come into the match. And yeah, it was already 3-0 up when most of these substitutions happened, but we saw straight away... Courtney Vine inject herself into the game, look really impressive, show what she can do one-on-one. Holly McNamara, again, um, looked really impressive. And we saw that wonderful goal from Mary Fowler. And I, I just have to agree with you, Sam. It was great to see the, the game sort of take centre stage. And it was, a, I think, exactly the sort of test that they would have expected. And, it yeah, it took them more, and a half, more than a half to break it down. But I think it's something we've not really seen too much of in the past, successfully breaking down these walls. You only have to look at the, the 2018 Asian Cup, for example, to see how difficult it can be to, to break through. Um, and, yeah, it's one of those ones where they'll probably look at it and go, job done, got it, <laughs> got the result. Um, but, yeah, it was a, as you say, Sam, it was a pretty entertaining game to watch, whether you're a, I guess, into it tactically or if you just enjoyed the second half with a few uh, nice goals yeah and speaking of the the crappy conversion rate like if you just look at the stats on the Matilda's website the team had 33 shots and only eight of them were on target and four of those were scored well three of those were scored and then there was an own goal so there's obviously you know problems there but that's that's okay because luckily when it comes to the areas of the field where the Matildas have an extreme amount of firepower, it's up front. <laughs> and it, we sort of cycle back to the rationale behind why Gustafson selected the squad that he did, right? This was the exact game to demonstrate the point of it all. Bringing on Holly McNamara and Courtney Vine, they did exactly what they're good at, which is breaking through lines, creating opportunities. And Mary Fowler, who had been pretty sort of absent, I think, up until that point. She had a couple of good sort of cross-field passes, but she sort of faded into that midfield a little bit. And she pops up in exactly the moment that she's needed and just completely punishes that ball into the far corner of the net, which was just so beautiful. And the commentators and everyone on Twitter, there was that shot of all the kids hugging and celebrating that one moment together because all of them, including Remy Simpson, they were all involved in the build-up to that goal which is fabulous. It's exactly what we want. It's exactly what we wanted to see happen in this kind of group stage. And how lovely is it to have watched that final 10 minutes and to see how quickly they've obviously got up to speed, to international speed, and to be connecting with one another in such a way. Like, I think that's one of the great positives to take from this game. Even though it was only 10 minutes, it was a really significant 10 minutes in being being able to prove points to a lot of different people. So, yeah, but like speaking from the Philippines point of view, um, 
they were very clearly an Alan Stagic side. You could tell that from the way that they were very, very organised from the opening whistle. They were very physical as well. And that was something that we we sort of chatted about over on the ABC Sport live blog was that the vast majority of these Philippine players have actually come through the USA. They were plucked from the college system. They A lot of them were born in America to Filipino parents. Um, and Stajic and his coaching staff had worked really hard to cast a very, very wide net to try and bring in all potential players to see who would be the absolute best. And it just so happened that a lot of them came from the USA and, and from college. And you saw that in their physicality. You saw that in their technical abilities. You saw that in their reading of the game. And the background that they had been in a national team camp since November, not just like going in and out of training camps, but like they were all together as a squad building chemistry on and off the field you could see that you could really see that they had formed a really deep understanding of one another in a really short space of time i think it was i think that was 15 of the 23 players who were called up for the philippines had 10 or fewer caps so they are all really new to this level but you couldn't tell they were i thought they were really really good and they've got i think a really solid core group of players and a solid foundation that they can now start to build upon. And you saw the impact that that kind of performance is already having when you scroll through Twitter and you like look at the hashtag and you see all the Filipino fans. Same way as the after the Indonesia game, they were so proud of their team. How amazing was it to not just get to this point in the Asian Cup, but to face the Matildas and to perform like that against the Matildas, this fantastic Asian leading side, you know. So, yeah, so I, I thought it was great. I was really proud of the Philippines and I'm actually really excited to see how they develop over the next couple of years because if they've been able to get to that point in only a couple of months, who knows how good they're going to be going forward. How good was that goalkeeper as well, Chiara Fontania, made a couple totally. of massive saves, especially in the, the second half. That one to deny Alana Kennedy, um, who credit to the Philippines defence, had barely been able to properly get free at set pieces. And we know how dangerous she can be. She plays in you know one of the top leagues in the world and is always such an aerial threat. And the one time she really did get away and look like she'd um, been able to power ahead of home, um, Fontania just made this amazing amazing save like it was it was fantastic yeah as you say Sam so so well organized they've really put themselves in in pole position to make a run at qualifying for the world cup and that's that's huge and that is that is a credit to Alan Stadich and his coaching staff and to those players who've put in that commitment to go into a, a training environment for for three months that's a, it's a huge commitment um you really do get to know each other I imagine inside out um being being in that sort of environment it's um yeah we saw what they did against against Thailand and I mean sheer weight of numbers and I guess class won out for the Matildas last night and then I think once the damn wall burst a couple more goals just sort of pop in and that's that's nothing for the Philippines to to be ashamed of it was very much as we said the Matildas had to problem solve they had to work it out um it was interesting it would have been interesting if it had I guess the resistance had lasted a little bit longer and Australia did have to turn to, say, Vine and McNamara and co to actually change the game. As we said, the 11 that were on the pitch initially managed to work it out and um, it was a lovely, lovely ball from Steph Catley and a really nice header from Sam Kerr. Just 
in amongst three of them to, to head home. That's what I know that's what we expect from these players, but it was a, at least a nice way to to open the scoring. But yeah, I also just wanted to touch on what you said, Sam, about the the young players. I think a lot of people forget Ellie Carpenter is still realistically a baby in terms of her international career. And she was one of the rare players who in almost a US-esque setup was playing young Matildas while coming through with the Matildas. She was playing a lot of international football. So she was playing with a lot of these girls. She was playing with um, obviously Mary Fowler, Holly McNamara when she wasn't injured would have been in and around there as well. So the Remy Seams and Courtney Vines are a little bit older even than, than Carpenter. So they, they go back a fair way. And it was almost like a few moments and Ellie, Ellie Carpenter was, was super with some of their running in this match, as, as you expect. But when you saw her link up with Vine a couple of times, you go, oh, it's, it's almost like it's just like riding a bike, back playing with some of these players again. And I know they didn't always have the most successful runs in um, junior or youth tournaments, um, the young Matildas and the junior Matildas, but it was good to see some of these players link up. And I think in terms of this age group, there's a few players there that, would probably have won, had a bit of a point to prove, not because of the Indonesia game, but because I think people go, when we look at our talent, we've got these kids that are Mary, you know, Mary Fowler teenagers, or we've got these players that are 25 plus, and there's nothing in between. And I reckon there would have been a few of those players who over the past couple of um, W League slash A League women's seasons would have been really keen to prove that that they were up to the level. And it was it was exciting to get see them get a run. And Vine in particular, I know we'd been calling for, for Vine time um, in that first game. But I really like the point that Amy Chapman made on the broadcast of how much these players would have got out of playing in, in this game compared to the last one. Because even once, I guess, in terms of scoring, the, the Matildas broke through, it was still difficult. It was still a disciplined defence. It was still a hard-working team. There was still, the, as you mentioned, Sam, the element of physicality. There was still a fair bit of work to do. So to see players like like Vine and McNamara, who was entrusted with the corners pretty much as soon as she came on, come on and make an impact, albeit not necessarily literally on the score sheet like Mary Fowler did. It was really exciting. I think Vine and McNamara, like you said, Sam, that as soon as they came on, they did exactly. It was like they were ticking off how Tony had described them in the press conference. It was like good 1v1 and then Vine does a 1v1. Good dribbling and then McNamara does a dribble kind of thing. Like it was just absolutely to the book I will also say Vine started she had a defender she was on the right and I was there yelling at my tv babes you're faster than her just go for it just go for it and she did and it was like watching a Sydney FC game and it was just magnificent so I think there was a lot of excitement at all those young players coming through and coming in quick recap of the goal so as we said we had Kerr scoring a header as she does beautiful Steph Catley delivery as you mentioned Anna the own goal that a lot of us didn't see because the world feed. What did, happened there? I thought boot, I was just like them. buried. I thought I was buried <laughs> in live blogging. And then all of a sudden I look up and and we're picking the ball out of the net. And I was like, oh, did we score? And I saw Kai Simon with us like, oh, Kai Simon must have scored. That's great. And then the commentator's like, yeah, Kai Simon saw it over the line. I was like, but turns out it was an own goal. I didn't even know that until after the game. And it looked like a Sam Kerr header initially as well. So you're like, is it a Sam Kerr header? And then Kai Simon's just got a toe on it and claimed it. No, own goal. Yeah, they were showing the replay, I think, of the first goal. And then it comes back and everyone's like, whoa. World <laughs> so feed. A little boot to the world feed for that. Um, I don't what think Channel 10 should do too much, too much about that. Yeah. And Tara- we digress. 
I was like, Tara said as much, basically like, don't come for Channel 10. That wasn't us. Don't do that. But no, so we had the own goal. Then obviously Emily Van Egmond scoring with her noggin, which we love to see. And then the Mary Fowler strike was spectacular. I have two points of conversation. So we've got pick your own adventure. Uh, when you first started talking, Harrow, you mentioned two things. Van Egmond is the six. And I found it very interesting that you said that we scored, albeit from a set piece. I thought that was interesting word choice. So you can pick which way this conversation is go ah, is going to go. Do you I'll, want to talk about the six or the I'll set start, piece? I'll start with this. I'll start with a set piece because I think that's an easier one to clarify. Um, it's it's really important to be great at set pieces and to be really ruthless from set pieces. Um, and I think that's something that Tony was very much going to work on. But my point in terms of albeit from a set piece was we were struggling to break down this team and the breakthrough ultimately came from a set piece. We were able to break down a score from open play later on. So I think it's a criticism that, that was levelled at, at the Socceroos a fair bit earlier in their, um, their World Cup qualifying run is they were struggling to score from open play. Um, I think that was that was what I meant was it's a great set piece, but we know Steph Catley's fantastic at set pieces and Sam Kirk can rise highest. Um, but you're not always going to be in a position where to actually score from those set pieces. Um, so it was pleasing to see, I guess, after that, the a, pl- a breakthrough in open play. So there's part one. Sam, thoughts? Yeah, no, just quickly, because Tony Gustafson was asked about this in the post-match presser and he addressed it. He said that they had been working really hard on set pieces in the pre-tournament camp in Dubai and that the Matildas had kind of struggled in the past to convert set pieces, even though someone like a Steph Catley, who I'm just going to say, like, we, we talk about this every time we watch her, but she is still so underrated. When we talk about the best players in the Matildas, for me, it's Sam Kerr and then it's Steph Catley and then it's Ellie Carpenter and then it's everyone else. I just think that she's phenomenal and she's getting better, which is bonkers to me. And she was the most creative player in the game last night. She had five major chances that were created, including an assist. So she's just fab. Um, but yes, but I like I, I and Tony sort of mentioned as well that he was he was really impressed with the variety of the goals that we scored. I mean, obviously ignoring the own goal, but like there were set piece goals, there were open play goals, there were goals that came from different areas of the field. Like that's what you want. You want variety. You want to know and have confidence that in various kinds of scenarios, you are still able to find a route to goal. And I feel like we haven't really had that confidence with the Matildas for a while. So being able to demonstrate that in this game, I think was important. And it's very US style as well, Sam, I reckon. the um, <clears throat> I always refer to them at times, they can be a bit jammy, like they find a way, like whether it's on a set piece or they whip in a ball and like Lindsay Horan or Juliet's or whoever just heads home and you're like, Oh, where'd you even come from? That's not fair. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a bit of that. Um, it was, I guess the most predictable route, you know, a Steph Catley corner to, to Sam Kerr, but it's, it was lovely. It was, as you say, Sam, lovely delivery. And I agree with you. I think one of the greatest strengths about having Ellie Carpenter and Steph Catley is they're so different. Like, yeah, they're both tremendous at bombing forward and, putting the ball in, but it's in such different ways. You look at the way Carpenter cuts inside and loves to go on these like barnstorming runs through the middle or, you know, it's, it's really good in terms of her movement. But with Catley, it's sort of more a class and there's a level of maturity there as well. Obviously, she's got a few years on Ellie Carpenter, but she is uh, more like a silky player. Like you 
just a, a sort of player that's a real privilege to watch and, as you say, can fly under the radar, but just does everything well. And now she's added the set pieces to her game. It's just next level. And like you say, it, it, it is a key. If, you, if you've got a team that is sitting behind the ball or not even just not necessarily parking the bus, but a team that is being really disciplined and not really giving you an inch, trying to mark Sam Kerr out of the game, not giving you too much to have someone like Steph Catley who can pull that stuff out of her back pocket and put try, test a few different things. And we saw some really nice set piece routines as well in terms of short corners, in terms of working the ball around um, it, that the combination with Catley and Simon at times is really exciting. Um, and it was, I guess that before the first goal, the exciting to see was there was a moment from open play that kind of created it. We saw Carpenter and Simon combine and we saw Simon go like a little back heel. And there was clearly after halftime, they were told to, you know, play with a, a bit more freedom and that they were doing a lot of things right. It was just the end product. Um, but yeah, I, I like it. So my point was it didn't come from open play, but as you say, Sam, goals are goals and set pieces are clearly something needed to get right as well. Because I think before it was, as much as this goal was a score by Sam Kerr, it wasn't pure just look for just look for Sammy throughout the set pieces. You could see that developing. Marissa, part two, Van Egmond as the six. I mean, we, we come across it every time she plays as the six. Um, I, I liked what Amy Chapman, Amy's getting a good run today, um, had to say on this was that, yeah, I think we all like seeing her further up the park, but... She was solid in that role. I think, I guess that's probably where the frustration comes for all of us is, yeah, she can be solid in that role, but she can be spectacular higher up the park. Even I think Chloe Lagarde had a bit of like a wry smile and was like, yep. <laughs> and I'm sure if you ask Emily, like, honestly, she probably enjoys playing further forward because she probably enjoys being involved with creating and scoring goals. Um, she had a real like loose shot at one point in the second half once the result was sort of sealed up that she just put into the middle of nowhere, um, which was quite funny. But we know that like she's more fun to watch when she's further up the, the pitch. Um, I guess my hope is that um, it isn't a default for games that we think are going to be more difficult to see Van Egmont go into six because I feel like we take away one of our biggest strengths by having her there. Um, and that's not meant to be a slight on Emily Van Egmont as a six. As we know, she can be quite solid. She can combine well. She knows those two centre-backs, um, Polkinghorne and Kennedy, like the back of her hand, she can drop in. She's got the smarts and the awareness, but she's got the creativity and she just doesn't get to use it as much when she's back there. It's, it's, a, it's a timeless frustration for us. And I imagine Claire Wheeler would have been a bit knackered after doing 90 minutes the other night. Um, uh, but I think that is one thing, having Wheeler there, um, and let's not forget we may well have had Taylor Ray there if, if COVID hadn't got in the way, which is rude. Um, and obviously Ivy Lewick coming into this squad as well gives the flexibility you'd hope to in these bigger games, push Van Egmond further forward and allow her to be a creative outlet. And I think it takes a bit of pressure off Mary Fowler as well um, because she was silenced for a fair bit, like well stifled in that first half, particularly um, by having to do, I guess, a bit more of the, the creative work. And I know it's, it's a difficult thing because you're trying to fit in. It's like, I want to fit all these good players in. Um, and this is one way of doing it, but I think the best way to do it is you you push Van Egmont further forward. I don't think you might lose a little bit in terms of the poise or maybe the the ball control that you get from a Van Egmont, but 
your game so much more further up the pitch. Uh, that said, I know that they're going to keep some stuff in their back pocket for the big games coming up in the knockouts. You don't want to show all your cards in one hit. Everyone knows what Emily Van Egmond can do. Um, and as I said, the pleasing thing was, as we touched on earlier, Sam, they figured out a way to break down that really strong defensive block, that really disciplined opposition. And that was with Van Egmond as the six. So, like, the, there's pros and cons. But we all know how we feel about this generally. Yeah, I mean, you you sort of made my point for me, Harry, and that was that we actually have a, a good problem here, which is that we have too many good players in midfield and the, the issue is how you fit the best ones into a combination in this formation that Gustafsson is playing. So if you bring in someone like a Tamika Yallop who started the game, who does those characteristic runs that break lines from deep in midfield, who do you partner with her in terms of an eight and a six or a 10 and a six? Or even if they're that specific about it, who do you partner in the three in the middle, basically? And if you want to have the creativity of an Emily Van Egmond and the firepower of a Mary Fowler, you have to find ways to fit them. Like it might not be ideal, but that's probably the best possible um, kind of scenario for all three of them to maximise what they do offer. And Emily Van Egmond, to her credit, she had, I think, the most balls into the final third of any player on the pitch as well, and that was from sitting deep. So she can still be creative. It's just being creative in a different kind of way and contributing to the build-up in a different kind of way, not the kind of way that we would like because it's not necessarily as flashy or as fun or as technical as what we know Emily Van Egmond to do, but she still contributes in her own way. Um, I do think it was perhaps not um, not the game for a Mary Fowler in that particular position. Um, I, you know, and don't forget, we've got a Kyra Cooney Cross who's still sitting on the bench as well. And she offers something quite similar to Mary Fowler going forward in that absolutely bullet of a foot. So having to, yeah, find like we have we have too much depth oh god like how how are you meant to to figure out who to who to play together and you know it all comes down to play chemistry as well it's not just what they individually offer but it's how they work together as well so yeah but I do think we probably have uh some more um let's say traditional midfield combinations in store moving forward when it comes to more difficult teams like a China or a Japan, I would expect to see a more typical defensive midfielder in a Wheeler or in a Lewick um, at the base of midfield in the number six and freeing up Emily Van Egmond to go further forward and really unlock defences because that is going to be crucial going forward. And we saw how necessary she was in that Olympic qualifier against China she was the one who scored the goal to equalise to ensure that we got smooth passage to the knockouts. So we all know what she can do. And we just sort of repeat ourselves every single time this happens, right? So it's almost a redundant conversation. But I, I would like to, I think the, the, the great benefit to take from it is that these players are um, becoming so much more multifaceted and they're able to do lots of different things in different kinds of spaces and for different kinds of reasons. And so maybe it's not the players who need to change, but it's just us who are reading these games and watching Gustafsson's choices and us needing to be a little bit more open-minded about the purposes of this and what it, it actually results in. I have question time for both of you. Don't worry, it's not anything that's going to really test you. I think there's only three players in the squad that haven't been used. Obviously, Lydia Williams in goal, um, Charlie Grant, 
who's a bit of a perennial substitute at the moment, and um, Emily Gilnick, who is a fascinating one to me, especially with all these other forwards coming through and impressing and offering something different. Do we see these three players against Thailand is my question to you. Yes. I think we'll see Lids. Um, and I think of the other two, I think we'll see Gilnick. And the reason I think we'll see Gilnick is because she's tall. <laughs> and we're coming up against a Thailand who are not very tall. Um, and based on the performance against Indonesia and what how we saw Gustafsson use Alana Kennedy trying to push her further up into attacking areas, um, wanting to really capitalise on her height. And because Kennedy really, maybe outside of Polkinghorne, is, is really the only tall target when it comes to set pieces, I think it would be really beneficial to have another tall attacking player up there to provide some uh, some more options in terms of those moments. And Gilnick, I think, as well as a confidence player, and she needs to be given opportunities to grow into games and to show what she can do. And we saw that at the very, very start of Gustafsson's tenure, right, when she came on against Germany in the, in the Netherlands and she scored a couple of goals. She was involved in the build-up. She was really good. But she hasn't really been given a look in that seriously since then. So I think that she's overdue for a, a real crack, and, but also maybe it's a fitness thing, maybe it's a loading thing, maybe she hasn't acclimatised to India very well after playing in England, you know, could be a whole host of reasons. But I, I'd like to think that it'll be Lydia and and M against Thailand. Mentioning height is funny because that was actually part of the reason why Van Eggs was the six, and Tony Gustafsson mentioned this in his press conference. He was like, uh, the Philippines play long balls. They don't build up from the back. They play long balls. So we wanted an aerial presence there to kind of cut that off, which, you know, we like to talk about Van Eggs as the tall girl. So that kind of ticks that box. But as for the Thailand game, I'm, I am I don't know what to expect from Tony in the sense that I, even though we've qualified, I don't know if he's going to be the kind of person who's like, let's just do completely fun new 11 you know, maybe let's give Charlie Grant a game because this is technically a dead brother. I don't think he's that kind of coach. So I'm going to be really interested to see what kind of lineup he does put out. I'm not going to try and guess because he's going to make me look like a fool and I don't need his help for that. But like, I'm really, really interested to see what lineup he does put out because I do think there are going to be some changes. I do agree with you in the sense of it would make follow logical sense that he gives Lids a chance following the fact that Arnold and Micah have both had goes. But, yeah, really keen to see what team he actually does put out v Thailand. I think another little complicating factor beyond these players getting a lot of minutes is off the top of my head, Alana Kennedy and Ellie Carpenter both have yellow cards to their name. Really silly one from Carpenter last night, like just not letting play restart. I think it was a she gave away a foul and then didn't let play restart. Like sort of like, what, 93rd minute? Like It was late in the game. And another yellow card against Thailand would, I assume, mean they missed the knock, first knockout game, which you don't want. So if, you know, you, you're walking a bit of a tightrope there with, I guess, Carpenter and Kennedy, you don't, don't really want to take any chances. And also you want them to be right. Like let's not forget a lot of minutes under their belts as well. So that might come into consideration as well because, I mean, you can go, be careful, don't get a yellow. But, I mean, Ellie Carpenter held up play. It was a pretty silly yellow card. So you go, oh, you can we, you know, not can we trust you, but you're not going to do this again. So, and obviously they're in, you know, 
Thailand, you'd think, look, to play on the break a bit and every chance of, you know, someone getting tugged back or having to make a professional foul. So, yeah, I wonder if that will come into consideration. I also wonder if they look to maybe rest Sam Kerr a little bit more. Um, she's going to have a fair few minutes in the legs and she's um, put in a fair bit of work across these two games. I can't imagine the conditions are particularly fun. But I'm with you, Marissa. I don't see it once again being a full-blown let's just nuke this and start over in terms of the 11 and just just playing the kids. I imagine it will be fairly similar in terms of we saw a lot of a decent amount of rotation in terms of the starting eleven from the first game to the second one. And I think we'll see a fair bit again. And hopefully we do see um, maybe a, a Vine or a McNamara starting or a play like that able to, to make an impact. I think you're right, Sam. I reckon we're, we're probably going to see Emily Gilnick because height, because offers something different, can be an outlet out wide, can play centrally. And, you know, why wouldn't you use a player like that as well? At some point, if she's training well and she's fit, um, we know she's up to the level at this level. So, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. It's um, the, not that the pressure's off. Um, they'll want to still maintain, I guess, keep the foot down. But it, it, they do have a few more options after getting that second half breakthrough against the Philippines. I reckon Nevin might be a good chance to start because she's come on in both games and been really impressive, put in the cross Agreed. for the, um, was it for the Fowler goal? Eventually it worked its way there. So we know that she's got the quality. We know that the national team set up rates her really highly. So I reckon she will definitely feature. The game we are talking about, Thailand, 1am, Australian Eastern Daylight Time, Friday morning, We'll all be up watching it. We'll be having a great time. Sam just rolled her eyes because we're going to have to file on that one and that's not going to be fun, but that's not important. It's going to be a great game. Get around it. We will obviously chat about it as soon as it is done and look ahead because we should know our quarterfinal opponents by that stage or at least have a better idea of who we might be facing. So we will take you through that. Remember, you can read our analysis. We'll share some tweets. Sam will be doing stuff for ABC. My piece is up on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app right now. You can listen to us at Spotify, Apple and Google. If you like what we do, leave a review, subscribe, have a chat to us at the Far Post Pod on all social media. But until next time, go Tillies and see us.